I, I feel we, we sang in our, our opening song at the beginning, um, be still for the, the presence of the Lord, the Holy One is here. Um, we stand on holy ground. Um, and I've, I don't know about you, I felt this morning like we've been standing on holy ground and we've been allowed into a couple of very holy moments. Um, that encounter between a little girl and a social worker and a doctor, um, that deathbed uh, that Steph was invited into. Um, and so thank you to those who, who shared uh, this morning. Um, let's, let's pray um, and ask for God's help as we, we open up his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you are here in this place. Uh, we want to thank you that uh, we stand on holy ground. And Father, we know that's true every moment of every day. Um, but we want to thank you that every now and again you remind us of that and you pull back the veil and you remind us uh, that you are here and you are holy and you are good. Um, Father, I want to thank you for meeting with us in our worship this morning as we gather around the table. I want to thank you that, as Rachel reminded us earlier, we are welcome here because of your great love. Um, and Father, I want, to, I want to pray as we open up your word that, again, we would sense your welcome and your invitation, uh, that you're inviting us not only uh, to come into friendship with you, to know you, but to grow and to go deeper in our walk with you. And so, Father, I pray that each of us would sense the invitation of your Holy Spirit this morning, inviting us into a closer walk and a deeper walk with you. And I want to pray that you would do some of that work in our lives this morning by your word and by your spirit. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, I wonder um, if I was to ask you um, what your goal in life is, um, I wonder would you have an answer? Some people like kind of having a, a life goal, uh, maybe could answer very, very quickly. Uh, maybe some of us are a little more vague about our goals. Um, or maybe if I was more specific, I wonder do you have goals or a picture in mind of what you're aiming for in your family life or your friendships or in your work life? I wonder, do you have a really clear goal? Uh, maybe for some of you in your health and fitness journey, you have goals. Maybe you're working with Ryan Galway and he's making you set goals uh, and, and aim for them. Um, I wonder what about in your life of faith, in your life with God? Do you have a picture in mind of what you're headed towards, what the goal is as you walk, as you run? Um, and maybe the, the passage we're going to read this morning, um, for me, gives us one of, one of the most vivid pictures we're given in the New Testament of the goal for all of us uh, as we, we live our Christian lives. So you can, you can look out for it as we, we read together. Um, we're going to read from Philippians 2, uh, reading from verse 12. It begins with the word, therefore. Uh, so you've got to remember what came before, which was the beautiful passage about Jesus coming all the way down, the king who came all the way down, uh, became human, went all the way down to death, uh, and even death on a cross, and then was exalted uh, to the highest place. 
And it's following on from that uh, that we read on. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And yet again, the theme of joy and gladness and rejoicing that bubbles all through this letter bubbles up again um, in these verses. Um, so Paul paints, I think, a, a beautiful picture of our goal. I don't know if you caught the phrase as we read through. Um, but Paul says that you and I as Christians and the Christians in Philippi um, are to shine like stars in the sky. Um, I wonder how that image kind of strikes you. That's the goal that we're aiming towards. We are to, to shine like stars. Uh, and it, it's kind of an image that speaks of standing out as different. So it's kind of a contrast of the star against the black sky. But it also speaks, I think, of beauty. Um, how many times have you been out late at night or coming in, coming in from being out somewhere and you've caught sight of the stars up in the sky and you stop for a moment and crane your neck to look and marvel and wonder? The stars are beautiful, right? So they, they stand out, but they also draw, the beauty of them draws our hearts and draws the eye. And there's something, I think, of both those things in this image. We are to stand out, we are to be distinctive, but there's also to be a beauty in our lives that draws the heart and draws the eye. Um, I wonder how that image strikes you. Would you like that to be true of you, that you shine like a star uh, wherever you go? Um, the background, maybe the background blackness of the sky, um, Paul says we are to shine like stars in a warped and crooked generation. That's quite a, a stark phrase that Paul uses. I wonder, does that sound like a fair description to you of our generation, a warped and crooked generation? Um, it's interesting just to note, Paul also thought that was a fair description of his generation in the first generation AD. As he looked around, he saw things in his generation that were warped out of shape, that were crooked. What's really interesting, actually, is Paul borrowed that phrase from Deuteronomy. So the phrase is actually another 1,500 years older than even Paul, even the time of Paul. It was used at the time of Moses. So Moses thought that that was a fair description of his generation. Um, there, there is a pattern, I think, sometimes where every generation thinks it's the worst. 
Um, as we look at our generation, maybe we think that's fair, a fair description. Paul also thought so 2,000 years ago. Moses also thought so uh, back in 1400 BC. Um, we're to shine like stars in the sky. Um, I think it's, it's good to note as well, the language is in the plural. Um, we, we have a habit um, as Western Christians of our time of always reading the Bible very individually. So we take every verse as being just about me. But often the Bible is speaking to us as community. So the image here is not of a single star shining by itself, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Um, it, the image is of a cluster of stars. It's the church in Philippi as a cluster of stars. It's the church in Mount Sandal. It's us together who are to shine like stars in the sky. Um, I think maybe that's significant. Um, but whenever I hear it, I don't know about you, we're to shine like stars. It, I'm, I'm struck by the fact it's a really challenging calling. Um, it's much easier to hide away in a Christian bunker, away from the, the crooked generation, and just stay, stay hidden together as Christians. Um, Paul says we are to shine among them, among our neighbours, among the people of our generation. Or it's much easier if we're living among our neighbours to just blend in and become like everyone else and just fit in with the, the spirit of the age and the values of everybody around us. Um, it's a really challenging thing. How can we remain distinctive um, I have lots of questions about this. How, how can we shine and be different without being arrogant, without being like, look at me shining uh, over here? Um, how do we shine with the real authentic beauty of Jesus and not some fake manufactured light of our own? It's really challenging to shine like stars in our generation. It's not an easy thing. Um, but I guess where I wanted to kind of begin is this, that Paul believes it's possible for these ordinary believers in Philippi to shine in their generation like stars. And I want to ask you right at the beginning, do you believe this is possible for us, for this ordinary bunch of believers in Mount Sandal to shine like stars, whatever is going on in our generation? Um, I hope... I hope if you don't at the minute, I hope by the end this morning, uh, you will. Um, so maybe I, the question that arises for me is, how can we shine like stars? It's an incredibly high calling uh, to shine like stars in our generation. Um, how can we do it? How do we go about uh, living into that calling? Um, and I think for me, the key phrase and the one I want to zoom in on immediately um, is this one. It is God who works in you. Um, this work of becoming a star, like a star, becoming like a cluster of stars, um, is not our work. It's God's work in us. He makes you shine with his light. It's incredibly important that we, we keep coming back to that and remembering that. Because um, if we try and do it ourselves, have you ever tried really hard to shine? <laughs> um, what happens when we try really hard? We, if we feel we're doing well, we get proud and we get arrogant. And like I said a moment ago, look at me, shining like a star. Um, um, many times we try and shine and we're aware that we're falling way short. 
you know, maybe we come out of church feeling inspired and we, uh, we go into our family or go into our workplace and we want to shine, but we, we're aware of falling way short and we feel like a failure and we feel discouraged and we feel by Monday lunchtime like a rubbish Christian. Um, we find it really hard to shine when we try and do it ourselves or maybe then we try to fake it and we try and pretend to shine and keep our shadow side well hidden. Um, but pretending to shine is really exhausting. And it's a really joyless way to live. You don't get that joy and rejoicing that bubbles out of Paul when you're faking shining. Um, and so Paul reminds us it is God who works in you. We need to trust in God's work in us that God does for us and in us and through us what we can't do for ourselves. God changes us deeply from the inside out and makes us shine. Um, maybe we could say this, that when, we, when we're trying to do it ourselves, it's like trying to make the ground beneath our feet. It's like trying to make the mountains. Um, God is the one who makes a world of salvation. God is the one who makes us whole and makes us well and makes us alive and makes us new. All of that working, all of that making is God. Um, and so every day as you and I wake up, and maybe another way of saying this is grace is not just for the beginning of our journey. Every day, the first and basic reality for you and I is God's work for us and in us, God's ongoing grace in our lives. In other words, we don't, we don't wake up and say, because God gave me grace 20 years ago when I became a Christian, I'm going to work really hard today um, to shine. I'm going to work really hard today to show that I'm grateful. We're not running off the fumes of grace that we received 20 years ago or whenever it was. We wake every day into a world of grace where God is at work, under the surface, under the ground, uh, making all things new, where his mercies are new every morning. His spirit is within us and God is at work. That's our kind of our basic reality every day. Um, we want to shine. This is where we need to come back to. It's God who works in you, and then it's God who works through you. Um, what does God do when he works in us? I want to zoom in a little bit closer because I think the language is really, the words are really important here. Um, God works in us to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Um, now, I had, to, I had to do a little bit of detective work this week because I realized as I read this verse that I had another translation of the verse buzzing around in my head that was really memorable to me. Uh, and instead of talking about uh, to will and to act, it talked about the will to desire and the power to achieve. Um, that, that language was kind of in my head. But could I find the translation that said that? I couldn't find it. Um, and I eventually, I had to do a little bit of detective work. The reason that was really strong in my mind was my mum and dad on their wall of their bedroom have a framed picture with this verse on it. Um, and I had to text my dad and say, what translation is that? Did you make that up? Um, uh, I didn't think they had. Um, and dad, mum and dad are in the middle of moving house. Uh, and so dad had to dig the picture out of a box. Uh, but he dug it out and... Uh, there it is on their, the grass of their, their garden of their new house. Um, 
but I don't know if you can read it in the calligraphy, but it says it's God who's at work in you to put in, into you the will to desire and the power to achieve what his purpose has planned for you. Um, and Dal was able to tell me it came from a translation by William Barclay, which was popular back in the 1980s and maybe isn't around uh, so much today. Uh, but Dad also told me, he said, he said, that verse changed my life. He never, he never told me about this before. But he said he read it as a young man and something clicked for him. The realisation that God gives us new desires, that this is how God does his work in us. He, he changes our desires. And what Dad said in this text message to me this week was, he said, I realise when God changes our desires, then you find all the resources of heaven are behind you. When it, but it begins with the changing of your desires. And so dad got a friend uh, to write it out in calligraphy and mum and dad have had it on their, their bedroom wall ever since. Um, the, the nearest I could find in any of the, the modern translations is in the New Living Translation. It says, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. The desire and the power. Um, so first of all, God gives us new desires. He gives us the desire to will what is good. Because at the very heart of our human problem is that our desires are out of kilter. Our desires are disordered. We might even say our desires are warped and crooked. It's not just our generation that's warped and crooked, but it's in each of us as well. Um, our hungers and our desires are all confused. So we desire food and we desire sex and we desire money and we desire popularity and we desire success. And none of those things are wrong in themselves. But it's like somebody has switched the price tags and we desire the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way and we cause all kinds of harm to ourselves and each other. And we think we are hungry when really we're lonely. We think we want pornography or retail therapy or vodka or lots of social media likes when actually we're craving love and friendship and welcome and forgiveness. And above all or underneath all, we are hungry for God. So G.K. Chesterton said, the man knocking on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Our desires are out of kilter. We desire the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way. And so when God works in our lives, the first thing he does is he gives us new desires. He reorders our desires. So we desire the right thing in the right place in the right way. He gives us new hungers and new appetites. And he puts our desire for himself at the center, our desire for his love, so that we realize that is the one thing that we really need. The psalmist says, one thing I desire, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on his beauty. Right? And when the one thing is in place at the center of our hungers, at the center of our appetites, at the center of our desires, then everything else falls into place. Um, if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these other things uh, are given to us as well. Um, so the first thing God does is he gives us new desire and then he gives us power. He gives us new strength to pursue those desires. 
because um, this, I think, is our other problem. Sometimes we know what is good and we genuinely want to run in that direction and our desire compass is pointing in the right direction. But this time we find we can't follow through on our good intentions. And we end up like Paul in Romans 7 saying, I don't understand what I do. I, I get up every morning and I want to I wanna do what's good, but I go off course. I don't want to run that way, but I end up going that way. Um, there's a weakness in our nature, a lack of power, so we fall short of our own best intentions. So not only does God renew our desires, but he also gives us strength. He gives power. So Jesus says in Luke 24, he clothes us with power from on high. That was the promise of the Holy Spirit. Um, or as Paul says in Ephesians 3, he strengthens us with power through his spirit in our inner being. It's not a pretty powerful promise. He strengthens us with power through his spirit in our inner being so we can not only desire what is good, but actually follow through to action. And so I'm starting to understand why my dad put this verse on the wall because it sums up so much of what God does in our lives. What does God do as he works in our lives First, he gives us renewed desires, and then he gives us power to run in that direction and to do those things that he has showed us are good. Um, so that's pretty, that's kind of the big, the big, big underlying thing I want to convey this morning. How do we shine like stars in our generation? It's God who's at work in you. And if you ask him, he'll give you new desires and he'll give you strength. And my dad told me ever since that verse kind of grabbed him as a young man, he says he's prayed some version of it every day and has asked God, would you keep working to change my desires? Would you give me a hunger for the things that are good? And then would you give me the strength to run after them? And that's been a prayer that has changed his life. Um, so that's the, the big underlying thing. But then maybe we are puzzled by this because I've been saying to you, it's not you that does it, it's God who does it. And this is God's work, this is not our work. And then we wonder why Paul says this. <laughs> he says, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. And I've deliberately put this uh, above a, a kettle on a kitchen table because it's about ordinary everyday life. Um, maybe if one mistake, one big mistake we can make is to think it's all about us and we can do it ourselves and that gets us into a terrible mess. The other big mistake we can make is to think that because salvation is by grace and not by works, there's nothing for us to do. And we are just passive recipients of God's grace and we can just lie back and float to heaven on a lilo of grace. And that's kind of it. Um, we just, we float our way there. Um, and it's important for us to, to realize, and there's a bit of wrestling with paradox here maybe, um, grace is not opposed to work or effort. Grace is opposed to earning. So in other words, we don't earn God's approval and welcome and acceptance. We don't earn God's forgiveness and friendship. We don't earn the right to be called children of God. We don't earn the gift of the Holy Spirit. All of these things are given freely by God because of his amazing grace. And as Rachel reminded us powerfully earlier, because of Jesus, we are welcome. Right? None of that is earned uh, by us. But in that landscape of grace, in that world of grace 
that God has provided. There is work to be done. We, maybe we could, we could put it this way. We are not to work for our salvation. And that's a, an awful mistake for us to make. But we are to work out our salvation. We are to work out the implications of what God has done for us and what God is doing in us. Um, salvation is not just a private interior thing that's kind of between you and God and the privacy of your heart. It gets worked out in all the details of our visible everyday lives. Um, salvation is not just about one big decision that you make when you um, give your life to God and invite him into your heart and have your sins forgiven and are given the hope of heaven, as uh, important as that decision is. But that then gets worked out in a thousand small choices every day. And that means making choices today, making choices tomorrow, um, to say no to those things which God has called sin, to throw off things that hinder and entangle, to flee deceitful desires. The language of the New Testament is really strong. Flee these things, throw them off, put them to death, say no to the things that God has said are sin. And on the other hand, to say yes to the things that God has called good and to pursue and to run after righteousness and faith and love and peace and gentleness and truthfulness and kindness and all the rest. Um, we are to make those choices every day to work out the implications of the free gift of salvation that God has given us. Um, to put it another way, we are to live in obedience to God's good commands. And Paul used that word at the beginning of what we read. As you have always obeyed, now also continue to work out your salvation. Um, we're to live in obedience to God's good commands, but it, it's not the obedience of doing it myself to earn my salvation or even to prove that I'm thankful for my salvation, but it's the obedience of faith, of trusting what God has done, trusting what God is doing, trusting what, what God will one day finish, and then in that landscape of grace, working hard. There are choices to be made. There is work to be done. And we have a real part to play as active participants. It's a real mistake when we think there's not a real part for us to play and there's not real choices for us to make. Um, I always found it really challenging. The late, the late Dallas Willard, um, regularly whenever he was teaching, um, and I've, I've heard him on recordings um, doing this, would say to, to the, co the congregation or the audience he was speaking to, um, are you planning to stop sinning? And it was a very blunt way of speaking, but it was his way of saying, are you planning to change the way you're living? Or are you just planning to float on kind of the way you are, just resigned to the way things are? There are choices to be made given what God has provided, given what God has done, given what God is doing, we are to make choices every day, to say no to these things, to say yes to these things. Um, there is a danger of thinking salvation is all up to us, but there's also a real danger, and I think it's a big one in Northern Irish evangelicalism, of a kind of easy believism that says all is grace, so the choices I make today don't matter that much. Um, it doesn't really matter if I tell the whole truth or tell a convenient half-truth. 
It doesn't really matter if I indulge in gossip in the canteen um, or refuse to participate in that. It doesn't really matter what I look at on a screen in the privacy of my own home. It doesn't really matter if I run after money and possessions just like everybody else. It doesn't really matter if I choose to be cruel or be kind to build somebody up or to tear someone down. If I choose to forgive or hold a grudge, it doesn't really matter. It's all grace. Um, I think these words from Paul make it really clear. These little choices of our everyday lives really, really matter. Because our salvation is not just a possession for us to enjoy, but it's to be lived out and worked out in a thousand small moments and a thousand small choices. And Paul adds to make sure we've heard the weight of it. He adds the words, we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Um, and I don't think that means, it doesn't mean fear of a God who's always angry or always disappointed. It certainly doesn't mean fear, constant fear of losing our salvation. But it does mean living with a genuine sense of awe and wonder and living our lives, that, that sense that we are living our daily, everyday lives in the presence of the living God. And so it's not just this morning as we come to worship that we're on holy ground, but when you are in your home, when you're in your workplace, when you are with your friends, you're on holy ground. You live in the presence of a holy, loving, living God and seeing our, that landscape of our lives as sacred ground. It really matters how we live today, tomorrow, this week. So that's pretty challenging. Um, maybe we're wondering, um, where shall we begin um, if we're going to work out our salvation um, in lots of little choices? Um, I, wonder, I wonder if I was to ask you, what, what do you think is the most urgent thing? Um, if you and I are going to shine like stars in our generation, think about everything that's wrong in our world, everything that's a bit warped and crooked. Um, what is the most important thing in terms of how Christians should behave in that context? I wonder, I wonder what you would say in terms of our public witness, in terms of how we, we live. Um, I wonder would any of us name this? Paul only mentions one specific thing here in this passage. And this is what it is. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Maybe it doesn't seem a very big or dramatic thing that he chooses. We might have picked something a bit more headline grabbing. Um, do everything without grumbling or arguing. There's something for Paul as he looks at his generation. He thinks this is really urgent and central and vital for the credibility of our witness in the world. It's really, really important that we live without grumbling and arguing. It reflects something of the heart of the gospel. It reflects something really central. Um, in some ways, you could say, sometimes when I look at Philippians 2, um, you, you could make a case that, you know, the earlier part of Philippians 2 that we read last week, which is so beautiful, this story of the king coming down and emptying himself and becoming human and humbling himself and going all the way down to death, even the death of a cross, and then being exalted back and being given the name that is above every name. And if you ask, why did he do that? What was the goal? Where, where was all of that headed? And you could, you could 
answer it in lots of different ways and they'd all be true. He did it so we could be forgiven, so we could be brought into God's family, so we could be welcomed at God's table. He did it so we could have the hope of heaven and go to live with him forever when we die. And all of those things are true. But it's also true to say he did all of that so that tomorrow you can live without grumbling or arguing. He did it to make it possible for you to live that way in your ordinary life tomorrow. We're going to sing in the song, we're going to sing at the end. His life, his death, his blood was shed for every moment. Every moment. It was for eternity, yes, but it was also for the empowering of our everyday lives. There's something urgent and central and vital at stake in you and I becoming people who do everything without grumbling or arguing. Um, can I say it in a provocative way? Um, a Christian known as a grumbler should be as scandalous to us as a Christian known as a gambler because it violates the spirit of the gospel because grace must lead to gratitude. The words are even connected. And if that's not happening, it denies the spirit of the gospel. Let me say it another way. A Christian who is known for stirring up argument and controversy should be as shocking to us as a Christian who is known as a drunk because it violates the spirit of the gospel. Because the gospel is all about Jesus making peace by the blood of his cross. And if we are gospel people, we will be peacemakers, even when that's costly and difficult. And so in the middle of all the big things that Paul says in this passage, he says, do everything without grumbling and without arguing. Um, a spirit of grumbling and arguing is deadly for our own spiritual lives. It's deadly for the health of the church. And it's deadly for our witness in the wider world. Um, I, um, I was reflecting yesterday, I was thinking maybe a lot about family this week, and um, I was reminded by a relative that yesterday was the 18th anniversary of my grandfather's death. Um, lots of you know my, my grandfather's one of my heroes in life. And so I was thinking about him yesterday as, as I was thinking about this passage. And I heard him singing in my head, as I often do. Um, my grandfather... Uh, lived in Carnlock in the glens of Antrim, um, joyfully sharing uh, the message of Jesus with people there. And then he went to Japan and did the same in Japan for many years. And then he came back to Carnlock and continued to do it. Um, and he, uh, he also wrote little songs. Uh, uh, and one of the songs uh, that he sang, which I heard in my head yesterday, he came from the Largy Road in Carnlock. Uh, and he wrote a song that began... I'm Leonard from the, the Largy, and I haven't come to argue. Uh, but just to tell you of my saviour dear. And, I, and I'm not totally convinced by the rhyme of, of Largy with argue. Um, but I can't argue with the spirit of that song. He said, I haven't come to argue. But I want to tell you of my saviour dear. Um, Leonard was someone who shone like a star in his generation. You can't do it if you're consumed by a spirit of argument and a spirit of grumbling. Um, when the gospel gets hold of your heart, the, the native language of your life will be thanksgiving and encouragement. And that's what you'll be known for 
as you live your life. Um, so let me finish with this last thing. I just wanted to mention these words uh, before we end. Um, we're to shine like stars as we hold on to the word of life or hold um, firmly to the word of life. We can't shine like stars without this. It's the key to our own life. We feed on the word of God and it leads us to Jesus in whom is life. It leads us to Jesus in whom is light. And so there's no shining unless we are deeply rooted in the word of God, which leads us to Jesus. Um, but I love the fact uh, that phrase can also be translated equally well as you hold out the word of life. So we hold on to it because it feeds us and it's vital for our own health. But we also hold it out because this is the hope of the world. Um, and I love, I love that image of holding out the word of life because it's, it's bold, but it's also gentle. It's not about shouting at people or pushing or arguing, um, but it's about inviting and offering. And this is the word of life. This is where my hope is found. Uh, and we encourage others to come um, and find life and find hope there too. Um, let's pray together. Um, and then we're going to sing to finish. Um, Father, I want to pray. Um, would you help us to believe and have confidence um, that ordinary human messy disciples like us here in Mount Sandal Uh, that it really is possible for us to shine like stars in our generation, not because we are special, but because you're at work within us. And when you're at work in a situation and in a person and in a community, anything is possible. And you're at work to give us new desires and you're at work to give us power to run in the direction of those desires. And so, Father, would you work deeply in our lives? Would you make us new by your Spirit? Would you make us more like Jesus? And, Father, I want to pray, um, trusting in this great salvation that you have given, trusting in the landscape of grace within which we live, would you help us to get up every day and make those little choices that are so important? to run in the way of your commands, to live in glad obedience to your good commands, um, to throw off the sin that entangles and to run after the good things that you've called us to. And Father, maybe especially, uh, would you help us to hear this small vital thing that we would be people this week who do everything without grumbling and without arguing where there is a spirit of grumbling in us, where there's a spirit of complaint and criticism and niggle and argument and controversy, would you root it out? Would you replace it with the grace and the peace and the gentleness and the kindness of Jesus our King so that we can shine in our generation? Father, would you come and do these things in us by your word and by your spirit? Um, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.